We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score. James Fegan, White Sox reporter for The Athletic. Yes, James. On Twitter at J.R. Fegan. I can anticipate this question. It's probably way too early, but excellent. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Asking the questions to get the answers you need. If you knew that Abreu was available to be the runner there, would you have gone to him instead of Hendricks? Yeah, if I'd known that, I didn't know that. I'd check the rule. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. James Fegan with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. Mark Grody in for Lawrence Holmes today on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, we're talking White Sox. They lose to Minnesota 6-4 in extras. Byron Buxton with that stunning game-winning three-run homer off Liam Hendricks in the 10th inning. And the the White Sox go home having lost seven straight games. Fegan, Fegan James, joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. James, in the intro, says that you are asking the pertinent questions to White Sox players and management. What is your number one question about yesterday's game? Hmm. I mean, I imagine everyone would kind of center around the whole um, pitching to Byron Buxton to – on three one to set up a four hundred and sixty six uh, foot home run. I mean, that's certainly bad and uh, capped an awful weekend, a minute awful week, a minute awful stretch. But uh, for me, the central question is, um, what are they going to do to like hit again? Because um, you know, if they play these games, there's no margin for error every single day. Yeah, they're they're going to make wrong choices or you know make bad pitches. Um, they need. This team is supposed to have a lot more games where they are clearly better than the other side, clearly more talented, and clearly have a lot more offense, and that hasn't been happening. They've played basically 10 games trying to protect slim to nil in terms of offensive contribution in a row, and yeah, they've gone 2-8 and eight during it, but that's, that's, going to, that's what's going to happen when you don't score, is that all these decisions become magnified and become a lot more irritated about when uh, elite hitters get fastballs on 3-1 counts than you would if you were up five runs. <laughs> Yeah, it close games leaves the game in the hands of the manager and of the bullpen. And there were issues in both of those areas yesterday. And we've obviously beaten the Tony La Russa thing to death. But I do want to ask about Liam Hendricks. It seems like it has been, in general, a chaotic start to his season. He is 
gotten in jams and out of them. Some of them, obviously, he has not gotten out of them. The 3-1 fastball yesterday to Byron Buxton. It, it has the back issue that he was having yesterday. Do we know if that was is something that he's been dealing with all of this season, or was has it just been sort of a slow start to his season like it was last year? Uh it's hard to say. We didn't get to talk to him yesterday. It was kind of, you know, on a getaway day. Uh, the team is packing up and you're packing up. You're kind of on this race for time for a guy who's getting treatment. Uh, I think Liam, you know, being who he is and how he is normally, was always kind of the guy who posted up on his locker to talk about a blown save. But that didn't get to happen yesterday, so we didn't really get to dive too deep in exactly when he felt it or how much uh, it kind of factored into that pitch, which was still, you know, 97 miles an hour like his Peters usually are. Mm-hmm. Um I, I do know that when they hopped out to like treat him, you know, they got the typical Liam treatment of he angrily waved them back in the dugout. So it's always a lot. I think when you hear that, it's certainly a size for concern of wondering why is he pitching in this situation, if he's feeling something, but you know, the truth of the matter is that, you know, pitchers are kind of always uh, pitching through soreness or little, uh, you know, barks of pain that, that, that pop up to the mound. Like when Lucas Giolito uh, came out for that abdominal issue, it wasn't because he felt it one time. It's because he felt it like three, four times in a row, and that he realized it wasn't just something he could straight shake off. Their pitchers are kind of shaking off stuff like that that pops up all the time. So it's hard to really classify how significant this is, uh, weighed against everything else. But yeah, Liam has been shaky, but at the same time, I look for like his baseball savant page for like the smoke, and there's there's nothing. Like everything is like the same velocity that it usually is, uh, the same whiff rate that it usually is. I think he would probably point to command issues um, that he usually has a lot of specific cues for, for how he fixes pretty quickly for why it's been a little off kilter. But I, I was watching in spring training and things looked a little off for like the first couple of weeks, the last two outings are like, up, oh, he's there. That's Liam. That's the veteran guy. And that's why you don't freak out over spring training. It, it, it's been kind of uh, you know, all this stuff has looked normal since then, but obviously the results have been up and down. I know the part that Sox fans are most enraged by was the fact that they Pitch to that Tony Larusa did have Liam Hendricks pitch to Byron Buxton with a, a base open. Um, that that's what everybody was angry about. Well, were we surprised that after Hendricks did struggle a bit in the ninth inning, got out of a, a two on one out jam, that he came back with Hendricks in that tenth inning? Absolutely not. Uh, one just like knowing Liam that he would be big on. Uh, just monitoring the usage patterns. That, that, that's the situation they go to on the road when they think if they bring their closer out for a tie game on the ninth, that it's always usually with the um, plan of if there's a save opportunity, he comes back out for the 10th, and that Liam is you know, pitched as this guy who can work multiple innings, who uh, you know, does not blanch from having to you know, make extended outings. Like the whole 50 pitches and then pitching the next day thing he did in the playoffs in 2020 to beat them is you know, something that everyone brought up when they signed him. Also, any kind of like history of how Tony has trusted his closers or trusted his veteran guys, um, you know, would tell you that was exactly what he was going to do in that situation for somebody uh, who has Liam's status, you know, even if he's had a, a rough couple of months. I mean, I think his commitment to, to Larry Garcia, someone who's not as established as Liam during deeper struggles, um, just speaks to how much he's like, if I have trust in this guy, if I have track record with this guy, I feel like I'm going to ride him through bad days, bad weeks, a bad month. Uh, so it, it didn't surprise me at all. Liam came out. 
Talking to James Fegan about the White Sox. Fegan, the beat writer for the White Sox for the Athletic. And one thing that I actually did like that Tony La Russa did yesterday was letting Juke, Lucas Giolito come out for a fourth inning. And Giolito goes four innings, allowed one run, four hits, nine strikeouts, and three walks. What did you think of Giolito's performance yesterday? I mean, his stuff works. Uh, you know, he, he was using four pitches that he did in his first outing again pretty consistently. He, he was able to get swing and misses on everything. Uh, he, he's still not, like, doing that higher velocity band that, you know, we, maybe we were hoping that he would sit at um, all season as a result of the, kind of the physical changes. But um, I don't know how much you can really expect out of, you know, 40-something day, that's first day out of rehab. But it, it, it seems like the – if anything, his command wasn't up to his standard. and He said as much post-game early on, and he was able to settle in over the course of it and, and, and kind of a relief given you know, the amount of off time he had. But he's a guy who, the way he mirrors this changeup, the way he this weird kind of low-spin slider, it all really uh, is something that hitters struggle to keep up with, with the, the level of ride and extension he gets on his fastball. So it, it, it seemed like normal Lucas. I, uh, I, I think it's uh, it's definitely the encouraging thing to see that that's going to be back on track going forward. Yeah, he, um, but Lucas gonna, can't shut them out every time they need to hit. So. That is true, and Giolito got himself out of a couple of jams, too. He got out of the, the first inning, bases loaded, gets Trevor Larnick looking, third inning, strikes out Larnick and Gordon to end that thread at the end of – that inning are those things like that sort of personify the improvements that Giolito has made in the last couple of years, getting into trouble and then getting out of it on his own. You know, I think that's sort of the stuff he's been able to do pretty much since 2019. I think if you talk to Lucas, what he wants to do is get in trouble less because <laughs> at this point he he's been an elite strikeout guy, uh, a guy who can get as much swing and miss as anybody in the game, you know, really since he made the changes, he just wants to be a more efficient command person where he can more consistently do that. Uh, you know, it sounds like a bygone era, but seven or eight innings more than just five or six, uh, because he, he racks up the pitch count from, from doing that. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the design that you have with the starting rotation it's with Cease, Gilito and Kopech is that these guys are supposed to rack up a strikeout rate that it doesn't matter your defense is below average or it doesn't matter if you have trouble controlling the running game because any jam they are supposed to be able to kind of power the way out of. Um, and you see where that doesn't work um, with more contact-oriented pitchers they have, but, but this is the design. This is how they're supposed to be able to make it work by just investing in the kind of elite power arms. This hour on the score is being brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. We're talking to James Fegan of The Athletic. I'm Mark Rohde and for Lawrence Holmes. All right, eventually we're going to have to get to the 18 errors that the team has this season. How do you explain that? Is there an explanation for it? Uh, cascade failure? Um, <laughs> any sort of like weird pop psychology about um, group uh, spiral, the group think or, or things spiraling? Uh, as a collective, as, as doubt amounts. I mean, some of the stuff with uh, Tim Anderson, you know, talking to Joe McEwing about it over the weekend was just like a, a very specific mechanical issue with the throwing that they felt like they had addressed um, even before he kind of bounced the game, uh, throw on a, on Friday that, uh, you know, kind of created all the problems. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, like, they can definitely be sharper. This shouldn't persist as much as it has, but it's not, like, fitted to be a, a great defense. Um 
you know, Tim's done a lot of work to stick at shortstop, but I, I don't think he's uh, quite taken that leap where uh, he would be considered among like one of the most plus defenders. And, and that's probably one of the more solid of the group, especially with Yohan Mankata out. And, you know, after Luis Robert and being kind of the, you know, the gold glove winner he's been in the past, you know, especially now you have to play, you know, Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets in the corners more where they do a, uh, you know, an admirable job, but obviously you're playing out of traditional position. You're just not suited with a group that has a lot of plus defenders out there. And so I think it's, it's not going to be their strength uh, over the course of the season in any form. It, it, it obviously needs to be sharper and uh, there's some degree of, you know, panic or, or spiral right now that they, they kind of need to get out of. But I, I, I think it's just, this is a team that's supposed to strike people out and hit lots of homers. And they're, they're definitely not doing the latter. And there's only so much that they can do with the former two to overcome the level of mistakes they're making at the moment. Yeah. And the, the lack of runs as you've mentioned a couple times now is only gets worse with Aloy Jimenez being out six to eight weeks with the right hamstring strain. It, it is it six to eight weeks. This is not something that we're going to hear like change and he's going to be out and only playing 55 games like he did last year. Uh, you can't rule it out. I mean, everything has been based on preliminary diagnosis that hasn't been uh, kind of verified by the, um, you know, the big examination with Rush that he's supposed to be going through, you know, today and tomorrow. So, like, even when that six to eight week prognostication came out, and you're thinking, I, I know a lot of people are upset by it, but as someone who watched it live, I thought, like, that's great given how it looked. Um, you know, when we brought that to Tony Russo, like, hey, this seems like, you know, better news than you might have thought. He said, like, he immediately put on the brakes and said, like, it's really tomorrow when he gets checked out that we can say, uh, with confidence. So yeah, it, it seems like a very significant hamstring issues. Those, those are things that, you know, Adam Engel might be the first one to tell you that like, Hey, it's the, the rehab process is not like automated and a given. And, you know, there might be setbacks and things to do that. You know, the same thing is going on with, you know, I'm the bleak strain where you have these muscle pulls. Um, they really have to be brought back carefully. And, you know, LOA menaces obviously be more significant. It, it could be a tough road to get him back exactly on that timeline. He has recovered somewhat quickly from some of these issues before, so um, I guess there's there's reason for optimism until they say otherwise. But I, I would be, I'd mostly focus on the fact that you're not going to have him uh, for the foreseeable future. Then you know, bank on the idea that like right at the start of June, he's going to be fine. It sucks when young, promising players' careers start like this with massive injuries, like real injuries, the pectoral last year, and who knows what this right hamstring strain means, but six to eight weeks is significant in the big picture. It like Is there a conclusion to be made on Aloy Jimenez at this point? Is he, is he the dreaded injury prone or are these freak occurrences? Like what's, what's the deeper picture look at Aloy Jimenez with these injuries? I mean, like last season – we all kind of conceived that he wasn't able to get back to what he is capable of doing. Um, He wasn't able to get in sync after that time laid off. So um, the question for here is, is is that going to be the kind of same issue here? Is he going to spend, you know, much of the second half of the season kind of fighting it, trying to find uh, the rhythm that made him so special, the form that won him a silver slugger in 2020. And I think going forward is we've seen how much of a hindrance this can be towards getting the LOA menace that you wanted him you know, we're promised, what can you do 
to reduce how often he's dealing with these things? Is there a way to ask less of him mm-hmm. um, that he's not putting himself in these situations anymore? Like he's a guy who's when he's running full out, he's not slow. He's <laughs> really moving is like a very big body at a high speed. Do you ask him to run out those infield singles uh, the way he was wanting to, um, you know, obviously they teach him and emphasize to play hard, but, is that really worth it uh, given what you're really trying to get out of them, which is not infield singles, but, you know, booming drives to the to dead center. Um, is, is it so important to your roster construction that he plays left field that's worth, uh, you know, some of the risk it incurs? Obviously, they don't have a ton of outfield flexibility right now, but is there ways to shape his career going forward to get more out of him than what you're getting by kind of subjecting him to these risks and these other challenges that are not really central to, to why he's so important to your team? So true, and yeah, I mean, he he was for people who didn't see, he was injured yesterday, running all out on a grounder to the left side of the diamond, and then just took an awkward step on the base. So yeah, how do you coach hustle out of it? So it's sort, James, it's sort of like the the defensive thing with him, where everybody was saying and still saying, hey. Just stay away from Luis Robert. You don't need to go back to that wall. You don't need to sprint to the net. Just need you to slow down. That kind of goes against the the mentality of any player, and especially Aloy Jimenez with like his exuberance. Not just exuberant. Like he's someone who plays uh, with a lot of pride. Like Aloy, mm-hmm. like you know, he might kind of come off in silly and joking interviews, but this guy cares a lot about being a legitimate left fielder. Like he takes it very personally that. You know, people feel that he has shortcomings. He he takes it personally that people say he's just like a plotting master. He wants to be this all-around guy, and you know, it's it's very admirable. It's it's very like part of the mentality that makes him great overall as a, as a player. But uh, it's just about finding some balance and maybe putting the barriers up for him because this guy is never not going to give you everything he's got. But maybe you can put him in situations where you know it's not asked of him. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's something that really there's a window to do. So I, I, I think it's, you want to show as much respect to him and what he's trying to offer you as possible, but also just, you know, put him in situations where he's not at risk and put him in situations where he can succeed. One more for you before I let you go, James Fegan. Ronaldo Lopez, a another strong relief performance yesterday, came in in the sixth inning with a runner on base, got out of it. Is there starting a chance for him to start in the future? Not not in the rotation, but just as a sixth man down the road or an injury start guy, or do you just leave him at a place where he's been thriving? I think at this point, certainly their plan is to leave him there until further notice. There's been a little bit of talk about, you know, when Joe Kelly comes back, maybe that changes the formula a little bit. And uh, I don't know if, you know, Vince Velasquez keeps struggling, if maybe they have to revisit it. But at this point, um, you know, you're you're probably not getting Kelly back before you add like Johnny Cueto to the rotation mix. Um, you know, probably along a similar timeline at this point since Cueto's already in Charlotte and Kelly isn't. And uh, if there's another month that goes by, maybe you're adding Lance Lynn back to the mix. Um, so I, I don't know if they're like you know definitely motivated to put Ronaldo back in. I think it maybe be about a loss of bodies that pushes them toward toward that direction. And, and certainly he seems like he's always had the tools to be a good reliever. It's been about, you know, the will of stretching where you really think you can get more out of him. And I don't know if the last couple of years make you think like, you know, if we just accept that what we have here and have a good multi-inning guy, uh, maybe that's the best path for him and he can be really useful for us. And, and certainly with some of the, the injuries he's picked up in the bullpen, they're, they're, they're in a position right now where they think like, 
we need him here right now because we, we are not as loaded as we had. We thought we would be when we had Craig Kimbrell and Garrett Crochet back there and, and didn't need Ronaldo necessarily. Off day for the White Sox today. They host Kansas City tomorrow. James Fegan, I hope that you enjoy your day off today as well. It's it's uh, being tagged as the most well-timed off day of all time. So, uh, <laughs> for everybody. For, for everybody. Exactly, man. Take care, man. All right. Thank you. There goes James. James Fegan of The Athletic right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. I'm Mark Grody filling in for Lawrence Holmes. Yeah. Seven in a row. Sox have lost. And that it's just, I mean, just to make it worse, it's been against your hated rivals. It's been against Cleveland. It's been against Minnesota. So it's not what you want. The season is not even close to being out of hand at six and nine. It just feels awful right now for the White Sox. Coming up next, we are going to talk about the Bears. I heard Tom Thayer say something yesterday on Bears All Access, or was it Saturday? I think it was Saturday that Bears All Access aired. Whatever. It was something that I hadn't heard about Justin Fields, something that may have hurt him in training camp last year. So we're going to do an all-out Bears report coming up next here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. Third down and nine. What do you think the Browns are doing here? Robinson to the right, snap back. They're bringing extras. They're coming after Fields, trying to chase away. Miles Garrett tracks him down inside the 15-yard line. And a a four-and-a-half sack afternoon for the former number one overall pick. Faster than Justin Fields can get away from him. Justin Fields was sacked nine times in that game at Cleveland. Jeff Joniak calling every single one of them over on News Radio 780 WBBM of the Bears Radio Network, of which I am a part. I am Mark Grody filling in for Lawrence Holmes. Also, Lawrence Holmes' executive producer, Ray Diaz, part of the Bears Radio Network. Yeah, man, we communicate throughout the game. Lots of stuff going on 
Ray Diaz is the traffic coordinator for the day between Jonesy and me and Tom Thayer and various Zerangs. It's a great bunch, quite frankly. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at Mark Grody Sports. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And if you jump on Twitter or Instagram right now, Lawrence Holmes and I explain everything because Lawrence was on earlier. So you're going to have to check out my Instagram if you want the full explanation of what went down right there. I was listening to Bears All Access as I was walking through the great, big, beautiful city of Chicago on Saturday. It was Jeff Joniak. It was Tom Thayer. It was Jim Miller. And Tom Thayer and Jim Miller went back and forth on something about Justin Fields that I hadn't thought about that may have slowed his progress or given him the wrong idea of what the NFL is actually like. I need to see more of a realistic time frame for Justin and practices. And Jim, I'd like to ask you about this because, you know, one thing that I think was unrealistic a little bit last year that frustrated me is holding on to the ball too long and thinking you're going to have that much time in a game. That's unrealistic. You're going to have a certain amount of time through, through the, with the play you called and you understand it breaking the huddle and then you know when the ball has to be out of your hand when you run the play. So I think there needs to be more of a realistic time frame for Justin than unrealistically standing there waiting for the guy to uh, come open. Tom, are you talking about game tape uh, for Jim or, or practice? I, I was talking more about practices okay. last year and yeah. the unrealistic amount of time Justin was thinking he was going to have when that just is not the case. Well, I, I think you can correct that in practice if you always have a buzzer going off, you know, on any yeah. particular play. So say in the background, say if it's a, if it's a three-step drop, you know, the ball's got to be in, out of his hand in 1.5 seconds. If it's a intermediate route at a five-step drop, 2.5 seconds, the ball's got to be out of, out of hand. Top end, even on a seven-step drop, is probably about three, a little over three and a half, say if he's taking a seven-step drop to get the ball out of his hand. I'd say even you want it probably closer to like 3-2 is what you want. But have that buzzer going off at the snap of every ball. And he's got to be able to feel it, too, in practice and act like it's a game, meaning that if there's pressure to the right, hey, I may look at my first read, but I feel the pressure. I, I'm going to the check down. You know, he's got to be more cognizant of that. I thought wasn't what was important this week is he admitted that they changed up his drops. I believe wholeheartedly with how they're doing it now. In shotgun, he will have his left foot forward and his right foot back. And that's important. It's significant because of this. Because now you can just catch and release. What I mean by that, on wide receiver screens, if he signals something, he can just catch the snap count. Now his feet are already in position to throw it. If he throws to his right because he's a right-hand quarterback, it'll only be a one-step throw. Literally, he'll just have to pick up his left foot, get it towards his target, and deliver the ball if he were throwing to his right. His left, he should already be able to do it with how his feet are positioned. So I think that's a good first step for him. It'll get better. He's got to get used to it. Some guys don't like it that way. But I think in the modern day of football, getting the ball out of your hands, what Matt Eberflus has talked about, is paramount. And your footwork's going to be a big part of it. But I think the clock and the buzzer going off, and for him, reacting like it's a game, that you're always constantly reminding him, hey, man, got to get that ball out of your hand. You had pressure there. You may have to move on from that read, dump it down to your check down. And it'll get quicker and quicker and quicker for him, but he's got to do it. He's got to do it. You got to constantly be on him and really force him 
uh, along those lines. So that's a real adjustment that those guys were talking about. Jim Miller, Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak on Bears All Access, which airs right here on 670, the score. That is like the, the footwork thing, like like an actual adjustment, which I, I understand it adjusts to this offense, and that comes from Luke Getze and Matt Eberflus to a lesser degree, but you want to see that. You want to see adjustments in this coaching staff to make that quarterback better because it's still obviously the most important thing. And the stuff in training camp is so great because I noticed that in camp. What I noticed in camp was not what they were saying, but I was noticing that Justin feels like really good in training camp when he had chances, and he was obviously working with the second and third stringers. And we there were so many times. You guys follow us on Twitter. It's not just me. It's the rest of the Bears beat. And when he does incredible things, we're all breathlessly tweeting and saying, look at that, pat, that downfield pass. We haven't seen an arm like this in a long time. Well, maybe since Jay Cutler. And so it, it was like that. So then where's the disconnect? Then the season starts, and obviously he's not starting, but then when he gets in, he kind of looks clumsy. Like he doesn't look like he has the poise, the presence of mind, and a lot of that comes from the fact that he simply thought he was going to have more time. This ain't Ohio State. This is not college. And he's not going to have as much time, and that's one of the things that Justin Fields has to be better at. I don't think he was put in a great position to succeed last year at times, but there are adjustments that Justin Fields has to make going into this season as well. It's not like not all of this can just be explained away by the previous regime and Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor and John DeFilippo and various people in that in that regime or that place and time for the Bears. But it is interesting that that Justin Fields, in his mind, because of camp, thought that he would have more time, and that's why he looked good to all of us in camp, and then there was the disconnect once the, the regular season started. There's one other thing, too, that I caught from covering the voluntary minicamp this week that didn't get much attention, but Darnell Mooney. Now, the, the, you know the story probably already that Darnell Mooney, Justin Fields, they're pretty close. They worked out together in Atlanta. And I thought there was something very interesting that Darnell Mooney said about Justin Fields and the way he throws the football. I say on the field-wise with, with the way he throws the ball, like um, last year he, he threw it like extremely hard. Like he was like eager to get the ball out of his hands and uh, he knew his arm was strong. Uh, he's grueled to like get some touch on it and uh, it's a nice ball very nice ball I know uh, when we were in um, we were in Atlanta training he was throwing the ball really really great and um, uh, we were talking smack to each other and then um, he threw one like I don't know that one day it was just one day he was just throwing the ball extremely well and I'm like alright this is my last time coughing you but good ass ball so, <laughs> yeah I mean he's been throwing the ball really good man so essentially in a very friendly nice Darnell Mooney type of way. He was talking about the fact that Justin Fields, at least from what he saw in working with Justin Fields and others, that there was a little bit more touch to his throws. And that was another thing that we noticed and tweeted about in Camp Lake Forest last year was the fact that there is tremendous zip on his football. And I remember like kind of noticing the reaction at times of various Bears receivers and tight ends when he would fire the ball in. It looked great. I mean, you're, that, you're seeing an elite arm. You're seeing strength. You're seeing what this is what we came for. It's Justin Fields. But he seems to have made, at least in this small segment here, a, something of an adjustment 
to have a little bit more touch and not just, you know, go Jeff George on the football and fire it down. You know, they can't just be Wilson Contreras and flinging everything. Remember remember when Anthony Rizzo got all mad at Wilson Contreras because he was throwing it so hard or you'd have that animated reaction? Like, Come on, man, slow down. I don't think Wilson Contreras was particularly pleased about that. But I think in the case of Justin Fields and working with a guy who seems like they're growing a you know great friendship as well as teammateship, teammateshipsness. Um, now it's a matter of can he do that or give that touch to all of the players. And it was something that I wondered about and Darnell Mooney bringing it up right there. We're going to take a break here in our, our Bears hit because we want to have – that was the first half of our Bears hit. When we return, we are going to hear – the Bears signed a – Offensive lineman today. They signed Julian Davenport. He was with, of course, he was with the Colts last year. Most of the Bears will be coming from either Indianapolis or Kansas City. Five seasons with Houston, Miami, and Indianapolis can play both left tackle and right tackle. I don't necessarily think that he is the answer at left or right tackle, but we're going to hear from Matt Eberflus on the tackle positions, and specifically Tevin Jenkins um, and Larry Borm, and where it fits and what it meant that those two guys were got, got the first shot at left and right tackle, at least during the voluntary minicamp. And the other thing I want to talk about is Roquan Smith, maybe the best player on the Bears and his contract situation, which is kind of strange. It is definitely different from the typical contract situation. I'm Mark Grody, in for Lawrence Holmes. We'll be back after this on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Bears. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. Are you confident that your role, as you put it, on this team in the future is the, the starting left tackle for the Chicago Bears? I do believe that I do will play a significant role in the future, but I'm not going to say that. Like It's just it's always like one of those things, like one of those hot takes that, oh, he says he's going to be this, he's going to be that. But I just want to say I do have a strong feeling that I should, like I would be. Now, that was said by Tevin Jenkins to me in the previous regime. That's where he thought things were trending for him, Tevin Jenkins. Now, the second-year tackle for the Chicago Bears, things were trending left tackle for him. I would have to say, and I'm Mark Rohde here on the score, filling in for Lawrence Holmes, that things are starting to trend right tackle for Tevin Jenkins. Now, that just means that that's where they're trending right now. It's a volatile, fluid situation. Everything on the Bears right now is a fluid situation. We'll see what they do in the draft. But during the voluntary minicamp, the last two days, I was I was there. I was in Lake Forest, get, got to watch. They let us watch the entire practices. So we get a little bit of an idea of what is going on, and we can only bring you so much. But one of the things that we can tell you is, is that, yeah, Larry Borum was the starting left tackle for the Bears, and Tevin Jenkins was the starting right tackle. And he played a lot of right tackle in college and looked very comfortable there. When Charles Leno was cut from the team last year and they drafted Tevin Jenkins, it seemed like, okay, that that's what the do. That's what that regime, the Ryan Pace regime, is doing. They've drafted their next left tackle, and it's it's Tevin Jenkins. That that has all changed, or at least that's what one would think rough draft-wise with a new regime. So I had a question for Matt Eberflus after we watched those two guys in those positions during the voluntary minicamp. 
Is it significant that they're at least getting the first shot at those positions? Yeah, I think that's significant for everybody. You know, if you're getting those first lineup role, you know, uh, spots in terms of their reps, I mean, you know, so I think that's really good. I mean, they're getting all those, all that teaching from CMO. They're getting all the looks right now. So um, anybody that's in that position is getting quality reps uh, for sure. Those guys are working day to day. Now, who knows what's what's really going on? Now, that that could suggest with those guys in those positions, with Larry Borum at left tackle and Tevin Jenkins at right tackle, it could suggest that these are the guys that they have their eyes on for those positions, that they think that they have the skill, the talent, the size, the quickness, all of that to play those positions. Like, these are our guys, and what a good thing that would be. Even though it is from the previous regime, and oftentimes when the new boss comes in, they like to wipe out the stuff that the old boss did, but what a good thing that would be if those two guys were legitimate at those positions. A good thing because they're both in the second year, and one's a second-round pick, One's a fifth-round pick. If you could lock those young guys in now at those positions, that's a really good thing. The other side of it is the cynical view is, and I don't know this because there was only you know so many questions we could ask, is are do, do they not like those guys? And this is just kind of like a last call. Do we need to – Ryan Poles needs to find out, does he need to draft an offensive lineman with one of those – second picks like this could be him looking at those guys especially Tevin Jenkins and saying are these guys capable because I need to know I need to have some semblance of an idea and more of it's going to be based on both of these guys tapes in college and the little tape that both of them put together last year but this is all intel for Ryan Poles the GM and what is going to happen at the end of this week? Do the Bears need to, with one of those prime picks in the second round, you want your second-round picks to be starters, do they need to use that to get the starting left tackle or right tackle, or or can he be comfortable with those two guys? So it's, it's in one of those two territories for the Bears. And remember, from the beginning, the one thing we knew about Ryan Poles was that he's very interested in the offensive line. Whatever that means. If it means breaking up the whole thing, if it means that he is comfortable with a lot of the players that exist, and obviously he has shown that he is not with a brand-new center on this team, he is into the offensive line. So, so much, I think, of what has happened so far has been staring that down and I can't wait to see what the Bears do with those second-round picks at the end of this week. One more thing on the Bears that is very interesting, and that is that is Roquan Smith and his contract situation blows me away that the guy does not have an agent. Any thoughts about your contract? And can you tell us, have you, do you, have you hired an agent? Do you have an agent? Or? Uh, I think, uh, like you said, it's personal uh, at the end of the day, so all of that business is just more so my business and uh, upstairs, and I'm confident that uh, we'll get everything uh, taken care of. How do you manage it as a player representing yourself? Like, how do you learn about, I guess, the business part, the agent part, stuff that the agent would typically do? How do you take that on as a player? Oh, that's so nice of you trying to, with that question he just asked. But like I said, it's all personal um, at the end of the day. And that's just uh, what I'm focused on. My, my main focus is out there on the field and uh, doing what I have to do to get better and bond better with my boys. Do you envision yourself here long term? When you think about your career, do you want to be here and expect to be here? Uh, very well.
Absolutely. That's yeah, that's that's, that's what you needed to hear if you're a Bears fan. That that part right there. That was the key question. That was the key answer that yes, he wants to remain a Bear. The interesting part about this is Roquan Smith did have an agent when he came into the league. And remember he was a holdout. He he held out because he was trying to get protection, essentially. If I don't have it in front of me here, essentially for late hits or being fined. He was trying to protect himself because offensive players are so protected. So the new thing for for agents of defensive players is to protect them against the the fines and penalties and suspensions that could occur because of illegal hits by the defense. So that's why he held out that year. And now, now he's going into this. Now, he... He was a little ambiguous about it. He didn't actually say, Roquan Smith, that he doesn't have an agent, but every indication that we are getting from Roquan Smith is that he's doing his own business. And good for him, man. Who wants to give up any of their money? If he could do it without getting taken by anybody, then good for him. But Then he gets to pocket every single cent. That is something that if the Bears do give him an extension, that is something I want to talk to Roquan Smith about, and that is being your own agent and how it goes, and if he could possibly represent me. I, I would certainly appreciate that from Roquan Smith. Um, when we come back, we are going to bring in the two guys that I see in the hallway right now. It is the Parkins and Spiegel show being represented by, as always, Matt Spiegel. Gabe Ramirez filling in for Danny Parkins today. We will talk to those two next, and I will read a very important text message about my immediate future here at 670 The Score as well. It's the Lawrence Holmes Show. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh. 